Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. To that end, I speak to authors of all different stripes. I speak to psychologists and neuroscientists. I speak to game makers and mostly I speak to you, the listener. And sometimes I read your first page of your novel or short story that you send in to me. And I'm still doing that if you want to send them to me. I love reading them. I love having a look at them and um, giving you some feedback. And a lot of the time I just talk about myself. I talk about my life. I talk about my thoughts about writing. I talk to, about, talk to you about what I'm up to. And that's what this episode is going to be. It's going to be a writing ramble. That's an unscripted episode. It's unplanned. I haven't decided what I'm going to talk about. I haven't written it down. I just press record and we launch into it and the reason I do these is one they're very easy <laughs> to record um they are very easy I mean like let's be let's be real here there's no point uh me starting this podcast and then uh just just lying at your face they like they're dead key um appeal to me is they're very easy to do uh because I just get to press record and record it and then talk at you. And, and I was never originally going to do them, right? They were part of the plan. But I, I, I did the final episode of the first season. And I just pressed record just to talk about stuff. And, you know, I thought I'd fi do an episode where all the stuff I hadn't had time to do in the previous episodes. I finally kind of address these various things and things that people have written to me about. And I uh, press record. And I thought I'd recorded for about half an hour. But I apparently went into some kind of fugue state and recorded for two solid hours and actually was late for uh, going out to meet some friends because I, I just sort of started talking endlessly and it, it turns out it's something I quite enjoy and also as someone who is occasionally <laughs> occasionally slightly uh, mentally unstable and slightly lonely as well it's like a really nice therapeutic thing for me to do so I think a combination of it being easy and my enjoying it are my key reasons for doing it and then people have then written to me and said, I enjoy the episodes where you talk to us and you say what's on your mind and you talk about a subject and you sort of bang on about something and we can hear you figuring it out as you go along. I quite enjoy that. Now, probably the episodes I get the most emails just sort of reassuring me that some people do enjoy them. Not for everyone. And that's why we switch the episodes around. Sometimes we have guests and sometimes we're looking at the first pages and... I should say I'm very close to launching the sort of, I guess, writing workout 2.0. The kind of couch to 80k 2.0 version. I'm not really sure really how to brand it for people who've done my original writing course, but it's going to be a 100-day free writing course um, that I'm going to do in a series of podcasts. Every episode is going to be one of those days. Uh, I'm going to try and keep it so most of those days, or at least the first half of them, are going to require no more than 10 minutes writing of you a day. It will have some stuff for people who haven't done the first one, uh, but it will also build on some of that stuff as well. I'm not sure that it will be better. It will be longer. Uh, it may lack some of the naive slapdash charm of the original. Uh, it's it's sort of it's tricky in a way doing something where you f are following up something you've already done, um, and it does occur to me I I'm sort of not unaware that it I may be just sort of rehashing something that I've already done quite adequately, but I also 
like to think there's room for improvement, that this is sort of like the adjacent possible, that I can make some new things. Because, you know, I've had loads of feedback. I've had literally hundreds of emails from people finishing the Couch to 80K course. And there's been, you know, I think largely when people feel motivated to uh, email me, uh, they are wanting to rec report positive experiences. I think most of the people who don't have a positive experience just don't finish the course, and so it's unlikely they're going to get in touch with me to give feedback. And, you know, the, the, it's certainly a data set that is overly enriched by people who've had a good time. Um, but, the, but it is useful to know that those people exist who did it and found it fulfilling. But I still wonder if there's some ways that we can, that I can... You don't have to do anything except, you know, do the course if you'd like to. But I, I'm interested in, in just making it uh, sustainable, not in an ecological sense, but in building practices that then become a sort of way of writing life for anyone who does the course. So the course doesn't just become something that you do. You sort of peak. You have your eight weeks or however long it takes you to complete the course and then that kind of falls away. I, I like, you know, I, th I think there's value even if you do something and then you sort of slip into habits that you sort of seem to serve you less well. Um, I still think there's value in that kind of moment of glimpsing another way of being, another way of writing, uh, because that's like quite a powerful tool in your arsenal, really, to know I can enjoy writing. I can write and find it fulfilling. I can write without continually sort of wrestling with myself. I can write in ways I'm unaccustomed to. I can have ideas sort of fighting for my attention. I can feel good about my writing. I think actually sort of seeing that for yourself is powerful and that remains sustaining uh but i think we i just think we can probably do better i would like to see it so that people can build on some of those gains that we can make it a more lasting uh change and that maybe we can look at ways in the course of transitioning into the long the long period that is the rest of your writing life you know if we can, because what I don't want it to be is a kind of writing institutionalization. I don't want it to be like you've gone to the military, right? And you you think you're there to learn discipline, but actually, you get institutionalized. There's always someone to tell you when to get up, what to do, where you need to be. You've always got a place you you need to be. You've always got a task. You've always got a purpose. You've always got someone to monitor you right uh that kind of structure can it can feel like you're learning discipline and and then you look at the outcomes for people uh coming out of well it's not just the military anywhere where you've got kind of like a a rigid routinized um way of living right it's hard coming out of that it's hard coming out into kind of like the free formness of life and what I want to make sure is that people doing the course, what I want to attempt, I can't promise I'm going to do it. You know, this is just something I'm trying as an amateur. 
is well i'm not an amateur i'm a, I'm a professional creative writing teacher i've got an ma in creative writing prose i studied a minor in creative writing in my undergraduate degree i've taught literally thousands of hours of creative writing classes so i do myself down slightly there um I'm as qualified to do this as anyone. Although, you know, I bet I bet there are loads of amazing creative writing teachers out there that are just, you know, just like working away in the creative writing salt mines who we don't have any access to their skills. You know, I, I go and teach residential courses. I, I, I teach stuff and occasionally, you know, I get the incredible pleasure and genuine, not being schmaltzy here, privilege of being in a room with someone else another writer teaching creative writing and and uh, occasionally you know it's uh, very occasionally i should say it's you know it's clear that um teaching creative writing is not necessarily their first passion um you know it's not something that they've necessarily put a lot of time in and, and why should they there's no reason why a creator should be particularly good at it but a lot of the time i'm like holy shit that's a good move. Oh, that's a cool task. Like there, there is this like corpus of creative writing wisdom just sort of floating around, unwritten down in the ether on the creative writing scene by, you know, used by people who teach creative writing to adults and to young people and all sorts. There are some like cool techniques out there. There are some really, really good... Um, creative writing exercises and tasks that, that that bring stuff out of people that make them um blossom i, I sort of I, I i'm thinking of some writers in my head but actually you know listen to the episode where i interview ross sutherland because he's someone who i've had the um pleasure of teaching with and uh he's he's really good at it and he gets he helps put down some shapes for for writers when i've been in classes with him that just produce really interesting effects he's like okay put these glasses on and write you know follow this this pattern you know th that's the kind of thing he's doing and i think sometimes exercises like that can be so useful because they're actually showing you the power of like you, you know i think like from a naive perspective you'd hear that and go oh you're just giving people templates and then getting them to kind of trace that's not but it's not that at all it's it's i think templates is figuring out the power of templates as a writer is so useful it's so powerful because always your creativity will spill out of any constraints you set down for it you know like a big like a big sort of like uh, cupcake like bursting over the edges of the sort of muffin tray that you're cooking it in right like any constraint you lay down for a piece of creative writing the writing will overflow and into weird shapes but you know part of like the the art of creative writing is is setting yourself arbitrary limits is creating a game for yourself and actually you know on the episode where i chat to ross about this i'm i'm pointing at my laptop even though you can't see me doing that um as if to say to you go listen to it but you know when you set yourself these kind of arbitrary limits and constraints and you invent a game for yourself then that is that's what writing is about you know like the, if you're writing a sort of cozy mystery 
you are partly borrowing rules to a game, sort of terms of engagement from previous previous people who've you know played that game. You know, like you're that part of a genre is partly a series of rules of engagement for the in terms of when you're a writer how genre works for you is it a series of rules of engagement it's a series of uh, tricks it's a series of limits around which you can dance and hang a story in the way that tennis is you know the game of tennis is interesting because there are lines and and a net and there are rules and there are illegal moves and there are um ways in which and so within those constraints and that you need to hit the ball within these lines in with this item this racket um you you know within that it allows for these incredible feats of athleticism it allows for these amazing moments where there are where there's peril you know there's in athletic terms all athletics all sports have you know they have failure conditions they have peril and that's what makes it exciting that's what makes within those constraints these incredible sort of transporting displays where you're watching going holy shit that's amazing or when you're playing and you're doing it and, and you feel within those constraints you can start doing really interesting exciting things that are not just exciting for you they're exciting for people who get to witness what you're doing and that is the that, that is entirely true with i think that's what so many people don't get about poetry is there's this idea that it just needs to be sort of and i struggled with this and still sometimes struggle with it it says it needs to be abstruse and arbitrary and you are just like needlessly faffing up words and complicating language and not saying what you mean and and like to a certain extent that's true you probably poetry is probably not a good medium to or you know order a sandwich right like it's better to just use normal speech apart from the fact you will look like a pretentious twat right you you, you when you we order things when we simply want language to have this kind of direct instrumental effect could i have a uh, could i have a, a lovely grilled aubergine sandwich please uh you know that you that's not a piece of poetry obviously um so of, there is a kind of slight obfuscatory element to poetry, but I think more this is certainly the kind of poetry I like. It is, it, it's laying down rules that make language work differently and harder than it might normally. That, it, it you know, it's a form of play. You know, like what is, you know, what's a, a, a limerick? Well, we know it has this rule where you go like that what is that an efficient way to like talk to someone in limericks no of course not um but knowing those are the rules it you know like and sometimes you can break rules in an interesting way as long as it's clear why you've done it there was a poet who hailed from the tyne wrote limericks with no last line when folks asked him why man he replied because i can breaks a rule right but 
doing it in a way that's sort of self-conscious you can you can play about with these things of course but like and to return to our sort of cozy mystery uh genre part of the challenge is to take this thing that people know and to hang a story around it you know who's going to be my my murder victim or the you know what's going to have been stolen who's my detective you know what's their, the milieu that they exist in i think those are all like really interesting questions i think it's why the, the the romance genre aside from dealing with an area that is just like evergreen to uh, most human beings or certainly a large subset of human beings there's nothing wrong if you're not interested in romance or romance is not part of your life that's fine but what i'm saying is it's a large subset of human beings who are really interested in that and then the different combination like there's a you know there's a formula in the in the same way there's a formula to sonnets in the same way there's a formula to haiku there's definitely you know some rules and so the interesting thing is how can i work within these you know and i think i think that's the delight and wonder of of genre and i think you know creative writing exercises far from being this sort of set of training wheels well there's nothing wrong with using training wheels either there's nothing wrong with making certain parts of a task easier so you can focus and you can uh, train on one specific part of it that you know that's what cone drills are right we're not playing a game of football we're just working on our cone drills because we want to get one specific part of coordination while doing a little light cardio we want to nail that and then we can take that back to the pitch and we can use it you know there's so many ways in which we would narrow down so we can focus on one one thing it's the same way you learn to drive so all of these creative writing exercises I, but but anyway so the temp so what i think is so good about them is also this ability to to, for them to be generative, for them to give you these new genres, these new templates, these very abstruse way of looking at things. Because after you do a, so you know, in in, in you know, taken individually, they may um, cause your writing to sort of spread in a new direction, or for a style to emerge that you wouldn't normally write in. I think that's just value valuable. I think it's incredibly not liberating that's a, a twee term and that's not quite what i mean i i think it, it can be revelatory to see you apply a sort of little algorithm to your writing and then you start writing and you produce a voice that isn't like your the voice you'd normally write in and you know i've got i've got funny you know we can get onto voice in a minute because I've, I've got sort of some thoughts about this kind of concept of voice which i think we often talk about and we accept and i talked about it with luke wright last week um and you know, I didn't actually really. We didn't. I didn't get into some of my thoughts on it, but I, I think it's a. It's something that we sort of often accept as a given. Um, and I think it's often more complex than that, or it can be if we push it. But like when you do enough creative writing exercises, this fantastic thing happens where you start sort of seeing how they work, the trick of them, and it gives you ideas for how you could organise your own writing and, and and to me this is the essence of literariness um and i'm slightly reclaiming the word because i think like for me true literary fiction true literariness is an interest and an engagement with form that like true literary fiction has to have some level of experimentation with style and form i i feel like it must 
if it doesn't to me it's not literary or it's just not anything i respect uh that's why you know ian McEwen, and i know he's an easy punching bag I mean, perhaps he's a really lovely guy he's certainly a worthwhile valuable human being i don't mean to attack him as a person but just you know he writes a uh, a piece of literary fiction about a and an, you know a house getting a, an android and is it, you know what does it really mean to be human and people in sort of middle brow guardian readers go wow i'm gonna buy this let's and there's no experimentation in that at all it's the most tepid vanilla i honestly if that if that kind of plot appeared it would be a weird genre twist but like if that happened it, it, it it's not fit for a an episode of doctors on the bbc in the afternoons right it's just so limp and unimaginative and it it offers the world nothing and there's no reason for it to exist at all um that isn't literary fiction to me and of course McCune doesn't really write literary fiction does he writes a sort of uh sort of chewed up um uh sort of paste that is um, easily digestible that people who don't really like literary fiction can pretend that they're reading literary fiction. He writes sort of sort of middle-brow, sort of pottering stories for people who don't like their stories to be too silly. And I don't want them to be... I don't like these sort of spaceships and ray guns and things. I don't want a, I don't want a silly story. I just like about middle-class white people who are maybe a bit, a bit fed up little bit, you know, maybe a little bit confused, a bit hot and bothered around the world. And there might be some nice language, not too long. Set in Great Britain. I mean, maybe they've got a second home somewhere, but primarily set within the home counties. And they sort of walk about. And then they sort of, at the end, they sort of spend a lot of the novel sort of dealing with the repercussions and then it sort of like flops and, and limps home and the story's over and it sort of it sort of slides out of you and doesn't leave a mark. That's what I, I like that and I want to understand it. What did it mean? It meant that life's a bit sad. Sometimes you do things and you look back and go, gosh, you know what? Tisk tisk, I wish I hadn't done that. That's what I like. So, <laughs> Tim Clare's working out his issues. He's resentful of more successful writers. Uh, no, it's fine. It's fine, right? Like you, you can, you know, just you know me, right? I'm, I'm being, I'm being unnecessarily mean. But there's just something really exciting about when a story plays with stuff, when a story flips stuff around. You, you know, when any kind of effort towards. And, and and of course, like you will, you will immediately discern that this means that stuff would become less literary over time by that definition, or at least unless you know at what point something's been written, um, things that are, are experimental uh, would become less so over time. So does that mean you can only judge literariness by where at what point it appears in the canon, or or whether the author knew about? Uh, uh, about predecessors precursors who somehow anticipate this thing you know if you if you write if you innovate in ignorance is it innovation and and this is why like kind of label of literary fiction is slightly it's it's slightly bollocks i i, I it's it's a it's something that people sort of claim i know it when i see it they make some sort of slightly feeble 
moves toward. But I, I think like literary fiction certainly invents its own genre a little bit. And that's why I think that there's, you know, you can have literary fantasy, you can have literary science fiction, you can have, and I think there's often an interest in people, although there's literary fiction that just sort of uses human beings as kind of like props and hat stands and, um, you know, has a big kind of like omniscient gaze and, and sees human beings as, as, as rather ridiculous uh, and 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 they kind of move around and it's all a big satire about how silly we are and then largely it does some very like nice so some nice set pieces where it describes a sky or some trees or a, or a really nice fish right but you know to me like literariness the effort is is this effort after um the unexpected it's this effort after making your own games it's this effort after um making the boundaries between genres porous it's this effort after teaching the reader how to read your own work all of which like i i imagine would sort of get nods if i said it at a literary festival while being while completely collapsing under any kind of analysis right because really if i'm being honest here's the fucking thing you can say shit like that um to a like literary festival or audience and they're just going yeah yeah because it sounds like why why question that it seems a bit mis mean-spirited maybe i'm the stupid one that i don't understand it but you go can you give me some examples of that and they're all really just examples of books i like and really saying that they're literary is 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 a way of cover covering my ass so i feel like i'm worthy for reading them but then, but you know, and then and then there's stuff that's like slap bang in the middle of genre that I love, and then the stuff that is in the middle of genre that I just don't think is a good example of the genre. I just I just think it's a bit lazy, and I think the characterization is bad, and I think the quality of language is poor. And some people would say, well, that's because you're being a snob. Um, I I don't personally think it is. I mean, I think maybe it would shade into snobbery if I said, and therefore this book should not exist. But I don't think it is. If I go, well, this isn't for me because I don't. I just don't feel that the author's put in any fucking effort. I, I I've read I've read thrillers that are verbose and take page after page to describe stuff we don't need to know that aren't that don't fulfil to me what the basic promise of a thriller is, is that we're going to move fast that there's going to be there's going to be twists that things are going to be like reasonably plausible like you don't get yourself out of a situation by but just having a character do something stupid or like completely ridiculous that we couldn't have seen coming because then there's actually no sense of peril because we know you you aren't operating on any kind of uh on any kind of fair set of rules so for me i get look so i mean i guess i'm kind of copying to say after all that that i don't really know what literary fiction is but it's just and, and and then there's this whole other thing that i've talked about before with what i think genre means to a reader and how it's a set of glasses that allow you to see the work and break it down and, and creates expectations in the reader's mind and i think what genre is for a writer and what genre is for a reader are completely different things but for me like what you can do with creative writing exercises and their great value is they start to teach you literariness because they start to teach you games new games um that you can apply to language and create weird exciting effects and then once you've done that enough you can start tweaking the games you can start you can start making your own games now i, I the um writer of becoming a writer then 1930 i want to say four or 36 uh creative writing manual um 
Becoming a Writer by Dorothea Brand has this line in it where and I'm going to I've talked about it before, but so I'm going to just sort of like paraphrase. But she says, like, the writer is the person who um, creates their own emergency and then solves it, basically, that you and, and, and that's slightly echoed by. Um, the French experimental literature movement, the Ulipo, who, who, who described themselves as rats escaping from um, mazes of their own creation. Now, I don't, I'm not. I'm a big fan of the Ulipo, not so much of Dorothea Brand, who was like one of um, the most uh, prominent. Was married to one of the most prominent uh, fascists in 1930s America, um, and so clearly um, had some issues she needed to, to uh, work through, and, and, and really should um, not be listened to by anyone which is why you can feel she was the inventor of morning pages this which were then sort of repopularized um in the writer's way but you know she said you should rise half an hour or an hour earlier than you customarily do and just write 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 and um i you know i just i'm giving you cheerful permission to not do that because um that was the reason that's feel so hard it was is because it was the it was invented by an actual fascist um, <laughs> who the fuck can get up an hour before they customarily do oh, I'll just ah, oh, and then I'll just um insert a mini fan at my bottom and fly around the world it's easy yeah I don't you know I, I bought this book because I've got loads of motivation and I have no problem getting up an hour early to write for an hour why the fuck would I need to write a, buy a book on how to do creative writing if I had the iron discipline and the fucking time necessary to get up an hour early just to write. I have a daughter who's often wakes at 5am. If I got up an hour earlier than I customarily did, I would meet myself going to bed. You big Nazi. <laughs> what? No. And people, this is why we set ourselves up for failure. Because we, we uh, these tips are handed around the creative writing community and no everyone shares them and no one fucking does them because who because who can except you know except people who don't have kids don't have jobs and apparently don't have the need for sleep it's like and don't get me wrong right i bet if you went away for i've done it myself gone on a creative writing retreat got up at 6 a.m. each morning um and this was like you know i've gone with joe dunthorne i have to say he was like pretty uh, like a fucking great guy to be around because he puts in the work right he'd get up at 6 a.m write for three hours breakfast at nine coffee porridge and then write another three hours till 12 and you do that you've won the day if you're off on a creative writing retreat i don't doubt especially if you've got supportive people around you, you can write in what would be considered an abnormal way. That you can write in these great bursts, that you can really, like, turn up for it. I don't want to say that it's not possible because I've done it myself. Creative writing retreats, I've, like, regularly write 10,000 words in a week. Um, there was a time when I was writing the second novel that I was at home writing between sort of 12 and 14,000 words a week. And I'm a sp I consider myself a slow writer. And it was just, you know, pouring out of me. I And actually, a lot of that made it into the book. I was going to say, I don't know how much of it was good. Well, it was solid enough. And I think, you know, I, 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 I sort of do think, actually, that a lot of what we... What, what actually stops us writing, this kind of, like, writer's block. People go, oh, everyone's got a fucking... 
everyone's got a, an original take on a writer's block, haven't they? There's no author who goes, I just think what everyone else thinks. Everyone goes, let me tell you a secret about writer's block. But no, writer's block's a good, a good term for it. I don't believe in writer's block. Well, fuck you. You don't believe thousands of writers telling you that they've got writer's block because you don't suffer from it personally. Oh, great. Oh, great. Oh, there's a reason to not believe in writer's block, isn't it? That seems totally fair, you clever person. Right, listen. Writer's block is exactly the right term for it because it is essentially an inhibitory condition. And I, I do believe this more than anything else, that you cannot teach creative writing effectively without teaching the psychology of writing. The two are sort of so entwined. You can't just... If you just teach style and technique that and this is like a this is one of the areas where i do agree with dorothea brand um i have some obviously large ideological differences with her but she talks about how you know you when you are teaching yourself creative writing or when you're teaching anyone else creative writing you must teach yourself as if you are two people and um i think that's true and, and what can be good for one is not always good for the other and for years, and I think to a certain extent I've been guilty of this on the show, taught great critical faculties. This is how to fucking go to town on your work and pass it through ever finer meshes um, and really, really make your writing shine. But you have got to have written it already. And if you get very good at spotting quote unquote errors in your own work, if you get very good at entering this evaluation phase of your own writing, if you get very good at sort of running defence on your writing, eventually you are going to be creatively constipated, my friend. <laughs> you are not going to be able to poop those words because you that that you you why because you have a voice in your head that is watching and step it helpfully stepping in to offer some criticisms to some to dissuade you from making a mistake earlier and earlier until writing the process of writing is not fun you have to let you have to let the child go and play and make their own mistakes you have to do that for yourself and you know it is complicated and it does get gnarly and, and what i would say is if you're writing a novel there's people go oh, just just get the first draft just get it done just get the first draft out well look 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 if you've make a sort of plot mistake if you start going down a road and it is not right for the book and it's not right for the characters things can just start to feel wrong you can start to feel like you're in a dark timeline like something went wrong with destiny back there and things you're in a kind of b universe like this is a dead timeline we shouldn't we sort of broke the, the you know the waveform split and i'm in the wrong universe this growing feeling of things being wrong and your writing will get harder and harder and if you just like run to the end of the novel then that small error will exaggerate itself and you're going to have written a whole second half of the novel that's got absolutely no nothing to do with what the novel should be so it's not as easy as just like moving to the end unless your standards are low unless you don't give a shit about the story being good and there's loads of writers who publish on that basis and write fucking shit awful uh, sort of the 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 last two thirds of their books are just dog shit, right? Because 
yeah, and they've got some set pieces, but they just make no sense. And which means that as a reader, I feel like they've broken faith with me. I don't believe the characters would do this. It doesn't make sense. Why am I following this? Why, 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 why are you doing this to me? Why didn't you do the work? Well, because writing is not very well paid, and um, the more books we can get out um, in a year, the better. Right. So that's that's the bottom line. Right. I don't begrudge them wanting to be able to feed their children. But why should I fucking pay for this? You know, sell it to people with lower standards who haven't read. You know, if I love writing. Right. And I'm sorry, but it just means I enjoy fewer books as a result because I've read so many that you're going to have to do something interesting to keep my attention. It's hard. Right. And it makes it hard as a writer because. I write stuff and I go, would I like this? This is a fuck, come on, fuck it, come on. Now, we've got to be careful about all that. And I think that that kind of thing is not helpful. And it's why I suffer from anxiety, right? And depression, because my ability to just filter for the, for threats, filter for threats in my writing, threats to it being good. It's not a useful way of working. It's not useful to start switching lots of your cognitive power towards evaluation, that's not, that's not, you know, you've got a certain, I, 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 I sort of, I, I've been looking at, I've been doing all this studying on anxiety and stress and stuff for this book I'm working on. And um, I, I think there's a, I, I'll talk about the MIST, the Montreal Imaging Task, Stress Task, another time. It's called MIST, Montreal Imaging Stress Task. I'll talk about it another time because I think it's really interesting. I think it tells us a lot about creative writing and the reasons that we sabotage ourselves. But I'll just say for now. It is really, really hard. It is, you know, demonstrably hard. I don't think this is a surprise to anyone to be creative under highly stressful conditions. The more stressed you get, the less inclined, the less prepped you are to be creative, to find creative solutions. I know I am just like in my everyday life, right? Like if I'm super anxious, I'm casting around. I'm super laser focused, but I'm casting around for threat avoidance. And I can't, I'm not in a position to sit down and go, okay, what are some creative solutions to this problem? What are some possibilities? I'm not like looking at the big picture. I'm just like fucking laser focused on my environment around me. And and, and that's not super good. We, we need a bit of that divergence thinking to be fully resourced to find solutions that are creative that use all our faculties and and the same starts happening if you over evaluate your work if you dive in too soon if you don't just give a story a little bit of breathing space and allow the possibility of unexpected happenings and sort of weird moments of serendipity they can't happen unless you actually get stuff down on the page they just can't happen and what will happen is you get into kind of like this spiral of evaluating your work finding it wanting and then trying to avoid that feeling and you'll get more and more into you know i would just ask you and i think this is sort of arising of some of the studying i've been doing into I'm interested in kind of cognitive behavioral therapy, although it's you know it's quite a, it's getting on now and as a paradigm. But um, there's various offshoots from it that kind of build on it. And I was looking at like metacognitive therapy, which is sort of interesting. And I'm, I'm sort of still looking into the kind of how the clinical basis of it and like how well supported it is um, by research. 
But it's got this really interesting idea that instead of asking you, you may know like in CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, not cockball torture. It's an interesting acronym uh, clash there when I've been looking at um, stress reduction in uh, in the uh, BDSM community. Um, but when we look at cognitive behavioural therapy, often what it does is says, look, you will have thought distortions. You will have automatic thoughts that uh, somehow don't reflect reality. And we need to challenge them. So you go, oh, I'm a worthless person. OK, well, uh, you know, we, let's look at some ways in which that thought might be an exaggeration. You might be distorting it. You might be labelling yourself in a way that isn't reflective of reality. And, what, and the aim of CBT is to challenge these automatic thoughts that might happen so quickly that they just seem of a piece with reality, but are actually separate. And... The closer our cognition, our thoughts can get to reality, that is healing in itself. Like the 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 the, the weller we are, the closer we will be to actual objective reality. And and, and what metacognitive therapy does is look at our looks at our thoughts about thoughts. And so instead of <laughs> asking, you know, looking at ways in which the thought I'm worthless might be distor- a distortion uh, metacognitive therapy might ask what is the value of um, what are you hoping to gain by evaluating your worth as a person it, you know it might ask what are you, what do you think the value is of repeatedly checking whether you're a worthwhile person repeatedly evaluating yourself in that way who the f- who the fuck, I would say, and I've said to myself recently when I've been feeling depressed because I've had a period of depression. I haven't had it for years, but I've had this period of, period of depression. I was walking about last week and I suddenly thought, who the fuck are you? To, who died and made you Anubis? Like, who fucking said that you were allowed to be like this judge, a human soul, like a weigh it, like a fucking bag of pick and mix, right? Like judge somebody's son somebody's daddy somebody's husband somebody's friend who said that you who like who said it was okay for you to come in and start evaluating a human another human being's worth how how dare you how dare you and and the same thing you know with your writing it's just like we can go it's amazing how you what are you hoping to achieve by constantly moving into reviewer mode with your writing that's why i say why what what are you hoping i wouldn't say like oh fight the inner critic inner critic might occasionally you know we need discernment but when you're writing something what are you hoping to achieve by pausing and then scanning it to evaluate whether it's a good piece of writing what are you hoping to achieve at that point? Because you are having to divert attention and processing power from the act of creation. You are having to divert power from... When I say power, I mean like in literal uh, like n- n- cognitive neuroscience terms, you, you, you know, you, you, it may be that you're down-regulating parts of your, parts of your brain because there's a limited amount of blood flow um, in order to... Uh, to 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 upregulate others, so there you know you, there may literally be limited re- resources in the brain. Certainly, um, the you know brain activity in a functional magnetic resonance imaging 
scan looks different when we're in this state of divergent thinking to when we're in a state of convergent thinking, when we're focused on something, when we're stressed. The more cortisol that you're releasing, um, the worse people do on um, tests of creativity. That's cortisol being the stress hormone. So if you are diverting attention, like I say, like we know attention is a limited resource. We know that people get attention fatigue. We know people get decision fatigue. If you are diverting resources away from your focus on creativity, on the away from your focus on sort of spatial memory and um, visual imaging and things like that, your engagement with the five senses, if you are moving attention away from that to threat monitoring, what do you think the, what do you hope to get out of? And it's fine if you've got answers to this. I'm not saying, I'm not saying what do you, I mean, it's not a rhetorical question. It's a literal question. What do you hope to get out of performing threat monitoring tasks while you write? What do you hope to get out of performing evaluation of your writing's worth? And notice if you're having thoughts about your own worth as a writer, because that is an important distinction, right? What are you hoping to get out of asking yourself questions like, am I a good writer? Am I worth? Am I wasting my time? It's so interesting when we actually notice what questions we're asking ourselves. I was on a run earlier and I noticed I was like, I occasionally like notice myself asking myself things like, why am I so, why am I always failing? Why am I so mentally weak? Why am I, what kind of, all I'm asking is, what kind of, what is the value of asking those questions and what kind of responses do you think that they those kind of leading questions are likely to bring up. And this is another reason why creative writing exercise can be so useful because they're not your project, right? They're not your big project. So when you do them, you can actually take a little bit of time afterwards to reflect on what you were telling yourself while you write it, while you were doing the exercise. You can just notice, what was I saying to myself? How do I, how do I feel after doing that? How did I feel during it? What kind of thoughts were going through my mind as I wrote? What was I saying to myself? What was my self-talk like? And I think, you know, the first, as you start to do this, your first experience of it will be discomfort, right? Because now you're adding another metacognitive process to the writing. You're now trying to write and you're doing this kind of self-criticism to yourself. And now you're trying to watch those things as they happen, which is why the free write, my lovely exercise, the free write, 10 minutes on anything you like. You can make mistakes. You can start multiple different stories. You can be free to be ungrammatical. You can write whatever bollocks you want. Just keep the pen moving the whole time. You just get to actually watch your own mind. It's a kind of form of writing meditation. And my goodness, there are some uncomfortable things in there. But if you just like allow yourself to start watching them, and you stick with this for a few weeks and you just keep going, keep going. It's kind of like softening vegetables as you cook them in a pot. Slowly over time, those thoughts will feel, you'll recognise them as being thoughts and not simply experiences of objective reality. 
And that's what I'm working on at the moment. I've nearly finished my lovely big hardback A4 book writing uh, notebook that I started while I was doing this podcast because I decided, you know, I need to start doing a creative writing notebook again. I've sort of stopped doing that. And it's nearly finished. And I was reading through it um, last week. And I was suddenly like, holy shit. Some of these little scraps are... Some of these are fucking good. I like this. I like this. And also some stuff I just read and went, who wrote this? Not in a bad way. Just like, this is... I don't recognise this voice. And, and that's, you know, just to wheel back i know i sort of left this unclosed parenthesis i wanted to talk about voice but i think that your voice is far more diverse and far more polyphonic and far more mercurial and far more interesting and far more able to slip out of any finite net that people want to put on it including yourself than you realize and for me the vital thing about writing is that you keep moving you keep changing your writing voice you keep reminding yourself that uh, the only limits that you have as a writer are ones that you place upon yourself now you can get very good at playing one particular game at applying one particular tempo plate applying one particular genre you can get and you might just really enjoy playing that game but for me certainly one of the um reviews that i was most happy with as an author was reading was the one in, in grazia magazine they've always been so kind to me grazia i don't know why um that said that, that said uh one of the uk's most versatile writers and i was just like yes versatile like not many i'm not sure that there'd be many authors who would particularly wouldn't would see like versatile as maybe like slightly damning with faint praise but that's all i want to be is i just don't want to be one thing and i like surprising people and it's not a kind of itchiness it's not a sort of unwillingness to settle down into one thing i don't think there's any shame in that but you will feel lighter and happier and sort of more free as a writer if there's always a little corner of your mind that might be willing to try a different genre that might be willing to suddenly write a whole monologue in a kind of like 1930s Chicago gangster drawl or write some deeply cerebral meditation on the coming of autumn or just write a sort of dialogue between two people or with no dialogue tags two people in a in a cafe I think you should always embrace the possibility that there are new writers new voices new characters inside you waiting to get out now if you've enjoyed today's episode then there's um two things you could do for me first you could buy one of my books like the honors and the ice house they're book one and two in the honors uh, sequence i'm hoping to write a third one um and I'm an author, so I, I only earn money if people buy my books. I'd really love it if you... They're kind of like literary fantasy. And I, I hope that they're cracking good yarns. Um, and if you have re bought or read either of them, I would love it if you went online and um, left a review somewhere. That make, means a lot to me, makes a huge difference. Um, and thank you to everyone who's already uh, got one and uh, enjoyed it. Um I'll leave links to both of those in the show notes of today's episode. Um, uh, you can also support the episode by um, dropping me a few bucks 
on coffee. My coffee page is ko-fi.com forward slash Tim Clare. And there's a link in the show notes to that as well. Finally, I'm, as you may or may not know, like I'm off social, as you may or may not know. Ooh, see, if I were if I were editing this, I'd leave that out. As you may or may not know, just covering all, uh, as you as you may be aware or may not be aware, I am or aren't. Should we just should we just state all possibilities before I start? <laughs> I may or may not. It's, yes, look, I'm I'm off social media at the moment. Um, it's fucking great for me. It's you know there are some challenges. I I like being able to reach out to people, especially you know when you're someone like me who um sometimes has um upsy downsy uh mental health and anxiety, which is something I've been focused on a lot in the last month and a half. Um it feels like a kind of missing uh support network. Uh but that's good because it's it's been hard but it's making me build other um and it's like a yeah it's like a support net it's like a support network that is occasionally just a sort of crate full of angry wasps right it's not a healthy place to be on social media a lot of the time it's often uh lots of very damaged unhappy people um working out their issues on each other and i do feel my life is infinitely richer for not being on it i really do um the research actually doesn't isn't the slam dunk i originally thought it was in terms of um how social media and the internet in general affect your mental health it turns out it depends but um it's definitely been good for me but if you want to send me your first page of your novel or short story and you would like me to read it out and give some feedback for it on the show or you'd just like to get in touch to say how you're doing um talk about your writing anything like that um you can do so via my website tinclepert.co.uk just click the contact me button and drop me a line i love hearing from you that's it thank you very much for sticking around um i hope your writing's going well um if you've got any questions about writing you can always drop me a line you know i'm always interested in uh, any sort of particular listener questions you might have that i can address in a future episode but aside from that i hope you're super super well i hope that you're finding something to be excited or uh, gloriously grateful for this week i hope someone's really kind to you this week in a way you weren't expecting and i hope you can reach out to somebody else in your life and um find some way large or small to appreciate them perhaps you could build them a small creepy shrine um but aside from that i wish most of all for you to have a wonderful week of writing <laughs>